The Broken Meeple, Season 3, Episode 11, recorded on November the 6th, 2019. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. been a long time since the last podcast and for that I apologize but October is a busy month and it's time you found out why but today I'm going to give you a treat I've been at Essen and I'm now played a lot of games from Essen so it's time to give you some first impressions Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in, and again, sorry for the long delay. I know this is becoming a bit of a broken record. I'm still trying to find a way to balance the podcast along with all the videos I'm doing, as well as my full-time job and everything like that. But the October period is kind of busy for me in more ways than one. Firstly, September and October is typically the time when I like to take breaks, because it's cheaper, because it's not in the summer. It's still decent weather. In fact, I like autumn weather. and It makes for good walks, it makes for good country uh, hikes, that kind of thing. And also Essen, the lead up, the actual convention, and even now, the post-Essen marathon of having to get a load of games played and reviewed is a busy time for me. In October, I had a week in Devon, I then had a week back where I was flat out at work trying to get projects done, and then a week at Essen, which was like amazing, more on that in a minute, but still tiring and I'm still reeling from exhaustion from it. And then I get back and I've got to hit the ground hard working at my job, as well as do all the videos and all the plays and everything else for my channel. And that's not even including little things on the side, like my fire alarms going off on a regular basis, which is really annoying. And, you know, having to sort out little other private errands from time to time, trying to get myself back at the gym because I hadn't been for a while. You know, figure out, obviously, when I was going to do this podcast episode, unbox a ton of games. You name it, I'm pretty busy. It's kind of a busy life for me. The fact that I haven't got a wife or a girlfriend or a kid or a pet or anything like that kind of helps. But still, it's hard to find enough hours in the day to get everything done. It's just, oh, it's busy. I mean, this weekend I thought was going to be free, but I'm entertaining a friend on Sunday. And Saturday is going to be an, a massive day at Dice Portsmouth, where I'll be there for the Bryn and Buy session in the morning, as well as staying there all day on my table to just basically say, here's a bunch of Essen games. You want to play them? Sit down and play with me. No idea how reliable that's going to be, but we'll soon find out. I guess it'll still be an enjoyable day. So, the whole point of this podcast, well, firstly, Essen, fantastic convention, but I don't want to belabor the point too much on this one because I've already done a vlog on this subject about how Essen went, but just suffice to say, it was an amazing convention, I love it every year, it's more about the people and the games come second because I get to see the whole Dice Tower gang, I get to see lots of bloggers and YouTubers I only get to like chat to online, now I get to see them. And some of you guys with, you know, fans of the show and that who came up to me either for a hug or a handshake, fist bump, whatever, and just some nice words to say makes my day 20 times over. It, I mean, I think there's probably 20 people who said hi, to be honest, not 20 times a day, but, you know, still, each time one of you does that, it just makes my day a lot better. It gives me a confidence boost. It makes me realize the channel actually gets listened to by some people out there. And, you know, as I see the subscribers on YouTube slowly climb, I mean, it was climbing a bit faster, now it seems to have sort of 
petered out a little bit. It's only going a little bit at a time, but you know, I'm trying to get more subscribers, trying to get more people to, you know, put a dollar a month on Patreon, that kind of thing. And it's just nice to hear the good feedback from you guys, you know, and just how you were at the convention, what games you were playing, you know, just to get out and chat to you. Because obviously, you know, being stuck here in Britain, I don't get to meet most of you who are around the world. And it's surprising how many people from places like Australia, America, you know, Brazil, <laughs> all, uh, different places around Europe, who have heard of the channel and listened to it. So can't thank you enough. Obviously, I'll be at Essen next year. You know, tons of games played this year, tons of games bought. You know, my wallet's not forgiving me because, I mean, not everything I get is review, Cappy. Some of it has to be discounted. Some of it was just full price buying. Granted, that was partially my fault because I didn't have time to email everybody, like, publisher-wise before I went to the convention. Not something I will repeat mistake-wise again. But still, it, there's a lot of stuff. You can spend a lot of money at Essen, but... From meeting, you know, lots of people at the Paul Grogan meetup, from Chewy from the UK Facebook group arranging a nice uh, meal out for us on the Friday, to hanging out with uh, Johannes and, oh, I can't pronounce her name, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, but uh, I honestly can't pronounce it, but, but, you know, basically, Board Game Ramblings, go check out, you know, their YouTube channel, they come up with some really cool stuff, you know, lots of first impressions, I got to hang out with them a lot during the convention, particularly on Saturday night, we played some games, Granted, they were duds, but we still had a good laugh, you know, and so, like I say, forgive my lack of ability to pronounce things, I'm just, I just suck at that, you know this by now, but, you know, it was a good conventional round, I drove, so glad to have the car, my god, so glad to have the car, I took an overnight ferry to break up the journey, and it was a bit expensive, but it made for an easier journey home, although it did waste a bit of my Monday morning, so I'm actually contemplating whether I should just simply drive all the way and just take the channel tunnel or like a shorter ferry and just say look you know what I'm going to be knackered it's going to be difficult but at least when I get home that's it I can go to sleep and then I've got the whole day to myself not just simply three quarters of it you know I'll have to see but I'm definitely driving because it was so good to be able to go oh my god this is killing my shoulders this is killing my back oh and in the car done all right, off we go, round two. You know, especially on the Thursday, it made for a very easy-going shopping trip. But even in the evenings, you know, it's like, right, we're done with the convention, boom, in the car, in a secure car park, and then you just walk, take the metro train or whatever to wherever you're going for your evening antics, and then just drive 20 minutes outside of Essen late at night and go to bed in your very quiet apart hotel outside of the area. I've even booked next year's apart hotel as well. You know, I've... Uh, a small place it's about 18 minutes outside of Essen again I think there's a Mulheim or Mulheim I don't know how you pronounce it but it's a small little village near Essen uh, or town even and yeah I'm just staying there a short drive each day is worth it for the convenience of having a car I cannot stress that enough I can't do this whole traveling by public transport and then trying to squeeze everything back or use the postal thing it just doesn't work for me having a car though great Although it did take a little bit to get used to driving in Europe, I must admit. But, uh, you know, no big deal. I got used to it in the end until it became mostly unnatural. And it did give me a chance to spend a day in Rotterdam and see Hook of Holland, where I was able to just, like, enjoy the architecture and the food and the scenery. I just did a walking tour and learned a few things. I'm not much of a history buff or that interested in history, but I was checking out your architecture. It looks really cool. I was uh, checking out the local food, particularly the, is it the Market Hall? I don't know what it's called. The big um, horse, almost like, the U-shaped, the N-shaped building that's got the murals on the inside looks really cool. But all oh, that food, oh, so much food in there! I just you could have given me a hundred quid and I would have been set for the day just to do nothing but eat and eat and eat. Would have been great. But yeah, yeah. So so Essen in general, really good fun trip. Thank you guys who said hi and so forth and so forth. But check out my vlog if you want to find out some more details on that.
But I can't keep talking about Essen all day. Well, sort of I can. But basically, I wanted to give you guys a treat because it has been two months since the last podcast. That is way too long. I hate myself for it. But at least I'm going to give you, a, hopefully, a decent episode now, or at least an informative one. Basically, I have tried to churn out as many plays of games as I can, and some of which I have got to the point where I can review them, some of which still need more plays, you know, so they're just first impressions at this point, and some I haven't even managed to get out of the shrink wrap. You know, it is very difficult to keep this stuff in check. Oh well, but what I can do for you now is, rather than giving you necessarily a review of each game, um, I might deliberately leave out ones that reviews are coming any minute now but uh, I will certainly I just want to talk to you about some of the games I've played you know whether did they live up to my expectations are they kind of lacking a bit do they need more plays am I kind of done with them already you know and maybe this will just give you an idea about some of them so let's kick off with something relatively light uh, Ticket to Ride an expansion pack uh, Japan in Italy you know this has been one everybody at my club has wanted to play this because we all quite like Ticket to Ride and I was keen to get more maps i even bought netherlands the other week so it was a gap in my collection but japan and italy is two separate map packs and they play very differently from each other but i will say i think italy is a bit too samey to what we've seen before it's pretty generic it's a big map it favors big long tickets because you score for going over all the different regions but other than that it's a pretty generic map where you just use a separate card for ferry routes and you score for regions at the end which is Kind of the best way to describe it is uh, Longest Route 2.0, because in order to score highly, you need a big long network. So it is basically that. It's nice to have another map. It's nice to have Italian areas and stuff. And, you know, I, I really want to go to Italy. I've never visited it. Please, I want to... Somebody get me to Tuscany. I just want to drink wine and eat Italian food all day. But, you know... I, oh, ice cream. Mm. Yeah, anyway, getting sidetracked. Ah, I must be hungry. But, I, you know, Italy was okay. It's not my favourite map in the world. It works. It's fine. It's just a bit generic. Japan, on the other hand, though, is the reason you're getting this game. Because that's a very interesting map. You start with only half the trains you normally do. And the map is pretty small. It's quite contested for what it is. And you've got two little, like, like an island area and a subway area that link to one area on a bigger map and expand out. It's really cool. But that's not the main thing I like about it. The main thing is that because you have half the trains, you are instead competing for this bullet train system that goes across the whole map. Anybody can use a route on a bullet train in order to complete their tickets. So the more that they get done, the more easier your tickets become. But it's a competitive element. You have to basically level up on this track for as many trains of the bullet train you put out. And when you do it, you basically play it like a neutral train and you only put one single bullet train on the track. None of your own trains. You don't score points for the track. It's a very different system. But at the end of the game, you score based on how much you contributed to that thing. And it could be like, whoever did the most gets 20. And then the next one gets uh, 10. And then the next one gets zero. And the next one gets minus 10. If you don't contribute at all, you get minus 20. I think it is physically impossible to play this game without contributing to the bullet train at least once. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's feasibly possible, but you know, it's quite a swing for those points. And it makes for a cool little like back and forth tug of war system. So I really like the Japan map so far. Um, I'm not as keen on the Italian one. I think that, you know, as map packs go, it's still cool to have more ticket to ride stuff. But frankly, if you want to buy this one, you're pretty much buying it for Japan. Next up we have Trails of Dukana from a Porter Games. This is their Flip and Write uh, title, which is... Um, I've just actually watched a review, actually, that Z Garcia has done on the Dice Tower, actually. And uh, I don't know what he's been smoking tonight, but yeah. 
He gave it a 9 out of 10. I need to give it... Well, actually, I need to give it a couple more plays, but I've played it a few times solo, and I've played it a couple of times with multiplayer, and I need to just try it a couple more multiplayer times, but I don't know where he's getting this 9 out of 10 from. It's fine. It's a playable roll and right flip and right game you know you are basically on this map and you have a slightly varied starting setup but it doesn't make a huge amount of difference but essentially what you're doing is you're flipping two cards over with different terrain types and on your map it's got all the different terrains and you have to draw a line between two hexes which match the cards that you're doing so desert to mountain water to forest that kind of thing and you have some symbols on the map that if you connect them to your network, you get points and bonus trails. But mostly you are trying to connect your villages and you have like A, B, C, D, E twice over. And the idea is, is when you connect like A to A, B to B, C to C, you will get points and bonus ones if you do it quick. Apart from that, it's basically a two round game where you exhaust the deck twice and then score up. It's a pretty simple game. And that is a plus. I mean, it is a simple game. You know, easy to pick up and play. It will appeal to anybody who's a fan of the genre. And I will confess, I'm not the biggest fan of the genre. So maybe you can take that for what it's worth. But it frankly just feels very generic. There's nothing about this roll and write that feels distinguishable from other roll and writes. And well, I'm just going to say roll and write. I can't be asked to say flip and write all the time. But the problem is, is that most of these roll and write games are so samey. It's the same problem that's associated with them. You do not care about anybody else on the table. In this one, you pretty much don't care about anyone else on the table other than whether they might beat you to a bonus card. That's literally it. Harvest Dice is still my go-to pick for a roll and write game because you actually have an active method of screwing other players over, seeing what they're doing, seeing what points and dice left over will influence them. You know, you can easily see it and it makes it easily my favorite roll and write. But this one just feels samey. It's just, I play it and it's like, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it stands, but how long is it going to stand on its own two legs with this? It's like, I'm just not that into it, really. You know, it's okay, but... Again, I think people are going to forget this one soon. I mean, I never played Avenue, which is it's done by the same designers who did Avenue. But frankly, yeah, I can pass on this one. I just think it's far too generic. Next we have Pharon, or Pharon, whatever it's called. And this is from Catch Up Games. I've never heard of these people, but I got it from Black Rock Games as well as a couple of other titles, that uh, one of which I'll talk about in a minute and the other one I haven't played yet. But Farron is an interesting one. It is a bone-dry abstract game. I mean, it, there is the theme is like tacked on like you wouldn't believe. You know, you will not get the feeling of being a pharaoh preparing for his burial or anything like that with this. But you're not playing it for its theme. You're playing it for its very streamlined and pretty interesting little mechanics. You effectively have this um, into like a variable modular setup where you put these five action areas on the board and it makes a big circle. In the middle of the circle, you put this dial with uh, action costs on it and it turns as the game goes on. The idea is, is that under each action area, there will be an additional cost based on where that wheel is and it turns once each round. What you do is that you use essentially generic resources of different colors to do the various five actions which could be to get noble cards artisan cards to level up on a burial chamber uh, track to get offering tiles to level up on these other tracks i mean it is very dry and very abstract 
but this is wonderfully produced. I mean, the component quality in this is off the charts for how simple this game is. The cardboard, the modular setup, the dial, everything in this is just super thick, super chunky, and it just feels like quality in your hands. Artwork is fairly basic, but it works with everything. Everything is clear. The graphic design is almost perfect. I mean, there are a couple of uh, bits of iconography you're like, Hang on, what does that mean? But it's clear from the rulebook what it is. The rulebook's dirt clear what to do. It's a pretty solid game. The only thing that I'm a little concerned about is that I'm not sure how well it will scale. And also, as much as it's a cool, neat game, I find that the replay value may be called into question eventually. But I think it's got enough to stand on its legs for a good little while. It's pretty solid overall. I liked it when uh, I played it. I thought it was a bit long for a four-player game, but it was our first game and we were learning it, so maybe it will be quicker now. You can play it with up to five. I don't have any interest in playing it with five. I mean, it will certainly be meaner than a four-player game, but... I just think it will go on way too long with 5, because this game can cause some pretty heavy AP, despite the fact that it's a streamlined game, because you're thinking, I got no idea if I'm doing well in this, uh, perhaps I'll go there, perhaps I'll go there, I don't know, and a slow player will hold this up like crazy, but 2 or 3 players, this seems pretty sweet, and I liked it fine with 4, although I will make one recommendation. We played with the easy setup, where everybody gets a Scribe Noble to begin with. Normally you have to take two out of a deck and choose one. I think you should ignore the Scribe setup altogether. Because the problem with these Scribes is, yes, it makes it easier for new players. The reason it makes it easier is because their abilities are that two resource colours out of five are interchangeable with each other, permanently, all the time. This makes it far too easy for people to be able to do the action that they want. And I just found that it made it too easy to get everything done. And on top of that, you get these bonus points for gods on the board. And, uh, and the idea is, is that each has two objectives you have to meet, two thresholds. And if you meet them, you get all the points. This might have been because we were using the scribes. I don't know, hence this needs more plays. But with the scribes, it is nigh on impossible not to get all but one of those gods. And to be honest, I got them all, so did someone else, and one person got one short of the gods without even trying. Like, they literally just did their own thing and they just happened to get the thresholds. They're too small, and it doesn't make the god powers worth going after if you're trying to beat someone on points, because it's just far too easy. But this might have been because we were using the scribes, I'm going to try it with more advanced setups in future, I'm going to try the solo mode, and we'll see how this goes. I think this has potential and hopefully my fears will be quaffed, uh, what's the word? <laughs> my fears will be quaffed, squashed, whatever. Hopefully they'll be alleviated. Now let's go on to a game that I've got very little negative to say about, and this is a heavy, well, uh, maybe it's a midweight Euro, it's mid to heavy, I don't think it's quite enough to call it a heavy Euro, and that is Terra Mara from Quinted Games. The, normally this publisher is kind of like, hmm, these games are interesting, I'd like to try them, oh my god, they're really long, it's like, this is a bit much, and some of them are dry themes and that, although I do really want to try Agra. I know that's long, I know that's fiddly as all get out, but I want to try it. It looks cool. And Forensi, that they reprinted, is a solid game, even though technically that's not Quinted Games. But this one, Terramara, interested me because, partially of its theme, this whole thing of these Italian villages and, uh, you know, ancient times, you're building up your little settlement and going off and exploring different action spaces, leveling up on tracks and collecting cards. Not quite the same as something like Gentis, maybe, but, you know, there were some similarities with the card system there. 
But it wasn't just that, it was the unique twist on the worker placement that it mentioned, because I always like innovation in games, I like to see something different to separate them out from the pack. The cool thing with this is that you end up with this modular setup board, and I mean really modular, I mean the replay value in this is off the charts. But because you basically put out all these different tiles in the middle of this frame to make all the action spaces and there's a lot in the box and you don't use them all, it can create some pretty interesting styles of games. But the idea is, is that these action spaces, it's almost like Feast for Odin levels with how many there are, but they get more powerful as you move further down the board. So imagine that the top is where you start off your big homestead and further down you're exploring further afield. So there's a thematic tie-in here. But the idea is, is that you... You put your workers out and you get resources and you level up on a river track, a caravan track, and a military track and collect cards, buy cards. They give you special abilities. Most of this you've seen before. And upgrading resources, you know, I get my stone and ore and wood and I change it into timber and metal and ashlar. You know, it's a, if you don't know what ashlar is, it's basically refined stone. Look it up. Um, I did. <laughs> but the... Cool thing with this is that when you put a worker out, normally you get it back at the end of the round. And you do if you put it on the top row or the one that whose round it's on or earlier. But if you put it on an action space where it's for a later round, i.e. further down the board, you don't get the worker back until it's that round. So you go for the more powerful action, but you have to accept that you're going to be down a worker for a period of time, perhaps even indefinitely. That's a neat little twist. It inserts some extra choices, because you think, I could really propel myself now, acceleration-wise, if I grab that action. But I'm not going to see that worker for another three rounds. There's only five rounds in the game. Can I afford to be a worker down for that long? And it's a pretty solid game overall. One thing that this has, which I don't see enough, is that it feels not only fairly streamlined, there's a fair amount to do in this game, but it just feels smooth and elegant. The way the rounds work, the way the turns work, the way the action spaces work, nothing feels clunky. Every bit of iconography is pretty straightforward to do and you can easily check the back of the rule book for a reference aid. But looking up the rules in the book was occasionally hit and miss, but I mean we were learning it at the time and I've played it a couple of times now, but it really does feel elegant while you're playing it. It's like, and we're done for this round, okay, this little bit of cleanup, this little bit of cleanup, next round, worker, 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 done, 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 and clean up, next round. It never feels like it's grinding its gears at any point. It looks absolutely gorgeous because it's illustrated by Michael Menzel and anything he touches looks nice, particularly the boards, because no matter which way you're flipping the tiles, either on the A side or B side and that, it syncs with all the artwork. And you're looking at all the little Easter eggs like I like to do with them, and it's just like, Oh man, I love Michael Menzo and his boards. I mean, Legends of Andor, Pillars of the Earth, that's all his style, and they just look glorious and colourful and lovely. And this is no exception. It's a very well-produced game. You know, the tiles are cool, the artwork is nice, the variability is good. This has a really good backing to it. I mean, I barely knew anything about it before Essen. I just looked at the artwork, I thought the theme, and I heard about the worker placement twist when they were explaining it to me at the sort of pre-release show. And I just thought... I gotta try this. Eventually I did, played three rounds, bought it on the spot. Sadly not a review copy, but I'm gonna review this one anyway because I think this one needs to be talked about. But so far, really liking this. This has the hallmarks to be probably the, one of the best Euros I have played this year. And that is saying something. So yeah, looking forward to playing this more and getting a review out soon for Terra Mara. Next up, let's bring it back down a little bit and talk about a little game from Pandasaurus called Wayfinders. 
Wayfinders, I have not played enough to give a full review on. This is purely first impressions, but this one on paper seemed really cool. A light filler game where you fly this little plane around a tile map, which is variable every single game like no one's business, and you fly to these different tiles, pay some resources, and get you know your airstrips on them and collect points and resources in various ways. Movement costs in order to get through tiles. If you pay, if you build a strip on a place where there's someone else's strip, you got to pay them. And the resources are done by this hang, these hangers where you put your meeples as workers. And when you pull the workers back, you get the resources in a particular way. You start from the top and go bottom. People can share hangers, you know, and it's done in a specific order. So on paper, it's pretty neat and it's very colorful. Looks nice on the board. Here's the two problems though I have at the moment from first impressions. Firstly, I don't think this game scales well at all, at all. I mean, there's the, the, the map does not scale. It's always 25 tiles and your hangers scale and that's fine. It's good, all right, with less players, you have less hangers, less places to put your workers, that's good. But 25 map tiles, it's a big map with two players, so open that you barely see each other. The problem is when you then take that up to four players, it's not that the map is that contested because everybody wants to avoid everybody every anyway because it's like, well, I don't want to pay you resources, so I'll go build elsewhere. But the problem is, is that you move for free if you go through a tile where someone has built a strip. When there's four of you on the map, you can pretty much circle the entire map without even trying. And that just kind of like takes out half of the like the, the pressure or the fun. And that's fine. I mean, I need to try it with other players. I just tried it with four. I need to try it with two and three and see how things change. But this is what I'm getting that the uh, whole player change thing is going to be like because nothing else scales. But here's the other thing that's a bit of an annoyance. This should be a pretty easy game to play. And it is. I mean, the rules are pretty straightforward. There's only one or two fiddly bits, but for the most part, it's a straightforward game. The graphic design in this, though, tries to make the game more fiddly to play than it should be. Firstly, yes, the artwork is very nice and the colors all over the place, but it is a very noisy looking map when you get everything together. This isn't helped by the fact that the iconography is not particularly crystal clear as to what some of it means. On top of that, the icons at the bottom of each tile that tell you how much things cost, they are quite small compared to the noisy artwork on the tile, but on top of that, they, they put these dots at the bottom which just serve no purpose other than to add more noise to the tile. And then the bottom right corner tells you like what color the island is, but the island symbol looks the same. So if you're colorblind, you are screwed. And on top of that, they decide to put two of the colors for the resources in that, navy blue and light purple. Why? What person thought that was a good idea? The resources can be distinguished because they got symbols on them, that's fine. But trying to spot anything, even when you're not colorblind, if you are even slightly bad sighted, this is going to be a nightmare game for you to play. Even I was struggling trying to look at it and think, hang on, that's the, oh wait, that's the navy blue, not the purple. They're too similar. But oh my god, yeah, if you're colorblind, stay away from this game like nobody's business. So it's fine. I like it mechanically on paper, but the execution with the way it looks and how it feels is kind of a little bit off. But I need to give it some more plays because I would like this game to be good, but, you know, so far it's kind of hit a bit of a hmm, ho-hum thing with me. But that's Wayfinders, I'll give it some more plays and no doubt it'll get a review soon.
Well, let's go back to something uh, pretty high. And if you start hearing rain or something, I can't help it. It's uh, pouring outside, so hopefully this isn't picking it up. But I'm going to talk about Detective Club. I got this from BlackRock Games. Um, I think it's got uh, iGames as the uh, publisher as well. But I know that other people have published it. I think BlackRock Games just basically distribute them. They distribute all sorts of things. They also gave me It's a Wonderful World, the retail version. I have yet to play that. I've only unboxed it, but I look forward to trying out that hopefully on this Saturday. But... Detective Club is kind of what I like to call Spyful Dixit. This is basically taking the idea of Dixit with those picture cards, but then combining it with a slightly longer version, well, a lot, all right, much more longer version, than Dix, oh, sorry, than Spyful, where one of you doesn't know what the others know. The idea is, is that each of, you're, you're gunning for points, and I kind of wish it wasn't a point game, but, you know, it's no big deal. But what you do is you take it in turns to be a clue giver, and you will lay out a picture card in front of you and you will think of a one word clue. And what you'll do is you'll write that clue on these notepads, these tiny little notepads, and you'll dish them out. But on one of the notepads, you won't write anything. So when you dish them out, most of the players will find out what the word is, but one person is gonna see a blank page. They're the conspirator. They're trying to hide the fact that they don't know what's going on, much like the spy and spyfall. And what happens is in clockwise order, you put down a picture card and you go around until everybody's got two picture cards. The people who are detectives have to try and not get accused, so they have to put down credible things. But the conspirator has to try and figure out roughly what theme this card clue could be and try and stay hidden in the pack. Once that's done, everybody has to explain why their picture cards relate to the clue word that they've done, and this is where the humor of the game goes, where everybody can, you know, some people can come up with easy ones, like, you know, the clue word was animal, and oh well, there's a ton of cards with an animal on it. But you do get some times where you don't have the picture cards to suit the clue, and then everybody comes up with these warped reasons as to why their picture works, while trying to either stay innocent or stay hidden, depending on what character they are. This is a great game to play. I really enjoy this one. You've got to go into it lighthearted and just get with the theme. However, it's not without one issue or caveat. It's not so much a, a problem for me because I get into it and I have a laugh, but this is a fragile game. You play this with a group who plays it dry or doesn't, who tries to spot the niggling flaws in like, well, hang on, if, I mean, if, you know, if you get to guess this or if you get a card that just happens to be the clue, then you get off easy compared to others and that. And it's just like, if you play with people like that, just kick them out of this game and enjoy it yourselves. But it, it is fragile. You're going to get people who play it dry and it might tank for them. But generally, when I play this, I've had times when I'm falling out of my chair laughing, I'm trash talking, bantering with others, you know, people are like making fun of each other for the dodgy clues they've come up with, you know, they're joking, it's a light-hearted game. And if you like Dixit and Mysterium and Obscurio and any of those, then you're probably going to enjoy this one as well for that picture sense. I mean, I love these games with the, the creative picture cards, they just sort of make my day. But on top of that, if you didn't like Spyfall because you hated being put on the edge a lot when you were asked a question, this one isn't going to completely get rid of that feeling, but it feels a bit more light-hearted. Because for the most part, you you don't know, like, nobody's asking you a question when you're trying to figure out what the clue word is when the pictures are being put out. The only time you're on the spot is when you have to describe how your pictures work with the clue. But you could be joining a lot of other people who have come up with some pretty warped ideas. And it just fuels a bit of your creativity. It's not simply, here's a question, answer it. It feels a lot more lighthearted and a bit easier to go. But like I say, it's not going to completely alleviate that whole spyful feeling. 
It comes in the tin, not a fan of tins, but as a minor niggle. It looks nice, well produced. You could mix this with any of the Dixit and Mysterium cards. It doesn't matter. The only thing that's different is the back of the card. You know, obviously these cards have been designed with this game in mind, but frankly, you could pull out any Dixit expansion and not care. Just throw it in, try different cards. I mean, with the combination of my Dixit and Mysterium games I've got, this has got endless replayability with the cards. But even the ones in the box will see you through a while because obviously different groups and different clue words will have an impact. Really like this one. This is a cool idea taking a couple of games that we already thought were really good and now doing something even better with them. Really love this one. This is getting a review. I think I've already done the video review for this. So I'm not going to say what my rating is. You'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, Detective Club, you definitely want to check this one out. Okay, a couple of quick ones before I wrap this up. Uh, firstly, Geometric... Uh, actually, no, I'm going to do two from this... Uh, should I do two from the same publisher? I'm going to do one from this publisher. The other one's got a review coming very soon, so you're going to have to wait for that. So that's Walking in Province. But uh, Geometric Art is another one from Emperor S4. And this is a weird, quirky little game. I mean, they do weird, quirky little games all the time. They've never put out a dud. They've just put out a couple that have blown my mind, and the rest are decent games. You know, they never really put a bad foot on me. But Geometric Art is an odd one. It's, I think I like it. I don't think I dislike it, but it's kind of odd. The, the way it is, is that there's a co-op and a competitive mode, and I think you probably should just play it competitive, I think. But the idea is, is that you roll these dice, and there's a clue word with a topic, and you have to come up with this idea, like a clue for it. So the topic might be uh, food, and you decide, right, my artistry is going to be of a banana. But... You have a limited amount of these dice you're allowed to use, and they have geometric shapes on them. Curved line, straight line, circle, quadrilateral, triangle, whatever, uh, color shaping. And the idea is, is that you have to draw whatever it is you thought of using only those shapes on the die, and only once each. So suddenly everybody's drawing these weird geometric versions of things that you normally know in real life, like triangular bananas and things like that. And it's an interesting little game. I mean, you, you get points based on how many people get it right and that. And it's fine. I mean, the, the boards could be a little better. You get these dry erase boards to draw on, but it doesn't give you anywhere near enough space to actually draw your art. And it has these annoying things like pictures of people actually looking at the art. And it's like, well, hang on, get them out of my way. They're just clogging up the space. It, it's a fine little game, but it's hard-pressed to say whether I like it or dislike it because it's... It's definitely one of their weaker titles, I think, but I think the concept is pretty cool. It's light-hearted, it's simple and quick to play. You know, I think this will probably go down well with families and younger children more than I think adults. I don't think it's going to appeal to the adult gamer crowd. I think they'll prefer something like uh, Telestrations for a quick party laugh, that kind of thing. But I think this one could work with young children and, you know, families pretty well. That's Geometric Art from Empress 4. And finally, my first impressions for a big one, actually. I mean, this is technically an SM release, but I got it on Kickstarter, and that is Paladins of the West Kingdom. Paladins of the West Kingdom is a sequel to uh, Architects of the West Kingdom, which I already gave a 10 out of 10. I still think it's a fantastic Euro worker placement game that's about midway and, you know, does a perfect job of introducing a unique twist to worker placement while being well produced, very nice and colourful. In fact, the only problem with the game is that it comes in too small a box. More on that in a minute. 
Paladins of the West Kingdom is the sequel to it, which is very much more meaty. I mean, this is a heavier game by far. You have a lot more options on your plate, even though the actions themselves are not complicated. It's just the fact that you have a lot of choices. Because what happens in this is you effectively are building up your city and leveling up on various tracks. It is quite a dry game compared to the other one. But the idea is that you have this deck of Paladin cards, which you draw from each turn and it gives you temporary boost to these attributes. These attributes are how you do various actions like commissioning monks and building up walls and such. They get you bonuses, bonus money. You can hire townsfolk with special abilities. You can go kill outsiders or convert them to your cause. So you either get quick bonuses or end game scoring. There's a lot of options here. But the main crux is that you're using these meeples and you don't have your own meeples. What you do is that you take from a pool these different colors of meeples. The actions on your board and on the main, like main board and your player board require certain color meeples. Different action spaces will appear as the game goes on. There's variable end game scoring. But the idea is that you are juggling these different color meeples, trying to do the actions that you need to do with the colors that you need. You can improve some of your actions so that they're cheaper to do, so you can do them more often. Often, but this is a very nicely produced, you know, very cool game. It's lots of choices, will definitely test your brain cells. You know, once you've played it a couple of times, you'll have the rules down without too much of a trouble. And uh, I, to be honest, I practically skimmed through the rules and then taught it from scratch. And literally, I think we only got one thing wrong, and that was a very minor thing about capping the attributes from a paladin, you know, that kind of thing. And it was a pretty minor rule, it wouldn't have made any difference. But yeah, this is a solid meaty Euro, and so far I'm enjoying it. I've only played the, the you know, i played it the once and I've enjoyed it. I need to try the solo mode out particularly, because I think that's the main way I'm going to play this particular game, because one niggling problem it does have is that it is very multiplayer solitaire compared to Architects of the West Kingdom. You know, you have a little bit of tension, like, oh, he's going to nick my thing, he's going to take that space, but other than that, you don't really care what the opponent's doing. So it's definitely more of a solitaire experience, so hence the solo mode might win me through. The annoyance with this game, and the one that's going to make me go on a rant, because I hate it when publishers do this, sort out your box sizes, people. Garpil Games, I don't know what it is with you in this small square box. It's nice and it's compact on the shelf, but it doesn't look right compared with the other games there. And also, it just about worked with Architects, although with the prototype expansion in there, it's getting a little bit close. With Paladins though, it is nigh on impossible to fit everything in a box. It is a Tetris game every time you pack this game away, and that is before you sleeve the cards. I'm not even convinced you can fit the game in the box when the cards are sleeved. I have yet to manage to achieve this. Seriously, why did you not make a bigger game? You must have known in your production phase that the box would not be big enough. You seriously need to sort that out. You know, it's all right saying, oh well, they're nice small boxes, they're unique, but honestly, it causes more problems than it and then boons it gives you. And that really got on my work. And I guarantee you I'm gonna be ranting about this in the review because I will call you out on it. The game is good, it looks great. I'm liking it so far and I need to give it more plays, but my god I am hating the size of the box. You know, oh well, can't be helped.
So we're ending on a bit of an angry rant there, but uh, you know, lots of games I've played so far from Essen, and there is more to come, hopefully this Saturday and obviously in the future. I've got uh, It's a Wonderful World, I've got the expansion for Western Legends, I've got Rune Stones, I've got Myra Kyber, which I bought mostly on popular request, but you know, still gotta play it. Uh, Cooper's Island I've got, uh, what else have I got, uh, um, well, the stuff I haven't mentioned on this particular one that I've played, like the expansion to uh, Empires of the North, the Japanese Islands, uh, the, I've got Marvel Champions in the post today actually, I've played a game of Tapestry, um, not, um, I'm not going to say too much on Tapestry right now, or you'll have to wait till I eventually review that. But uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of games I've still got to play. There's a lot of games I'm still playing now. I mean, some of these are first impressions before they even get to a review. But yeah, lots to do, lots to get done. But right now, it's past midnight. I need to go to bed. You know, I've, I've taken this time after coming back from my Portsmouth club to do this podcast. I will edit it this week and I will get it out to you ASAP so that I can at least apologize a little bit for taking so long with this one. But yeah, hopefully those games have uh, tickled your fancy or maybe I've helped you make the right decision in your own mind. You know, did you think these games were going to be better than they are? Do you agree with me? Do you not? You know, it's interesting to hear your comments when I put this on YouTube particularly. So yeah, that's it for me. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple video or you'll listen to me on the next Broken Meeple podcast. And remember, no matter what, it's always only a game. So take care and I'll see you next time. Thank you all for listening to my content and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top 10s, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future, as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.